You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Thursday, December 23rd. Merry Christmas to all. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. Our last podcast before we all head west to the festival when Notre Dame takes on Oklahoma State next Saturday. Um, guys, we've had an opportunity the last three days. Irish Illustrated has had several instant analysis for our um, subscribers. And, and um, you know, we've had a lot of access to assistant coaches that we hadn't before. Had Marcus Freeman yesterday and some a, a couple of interesting player interviews. Pete, let me start with you. Um, just some of the some of the highlights or what's on your mind from the last three days, and probably in particular uh, Marcus Freeman from from yesterday. I liked his sort of take on hiring a defensive coordinator because um, so often you hear about whether it's the same system or a different system. Like the players have to pick up different terminologies, yada yada. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like that's a coordinator's job. Like. Let's let's make it hard on the coordinator and easy on the players. Um, so I thought that was kind of insightful. You know, he didn't get into the offensive side of the ball uh, in terms of coaching at all. Uh, but I, I, it's refreshing how forthright about how little he knows about the offense is. Um, you know, he doesn't pretend to be an expert on offense, um, which it probably is a good sign for Tommy Reese and you know backs up the autonomy part of him sort of being promoted, even though he's in the same job. Um, but I think that that was an attractive part for Reese to stay. So it's, um, you know, I think he's Marcus Freeman has done a, a pretty nice job of like that part of the job, which is a sm- really, really small part of it. But when that's sort of how the public gets to know you, um, it's important to be good at that. And I think so far, Marcus Freeman has done a nice job with that. I thought it was interesting. He didn't pretend to know as much about Notre Dame's offensive players as we know. Because when I asked yeah. him about Chris Tyree and how he looked in November, he's like, I don't know. I didn't watch Chris Tyree in November. I was on the sideline coaching my unit. So yeah. it's just going to be, I mean, he is doing the exact right thing as the former defensive coordinator becoming a head coach for the bowl game in the same month. He is leaving it to the offense. And then starting in January, he could start to become a head, a head coach of the team that has offensive input and stuff like that. It, this is, it's up to Tommy. It's Tommy Reese on Saturday. Every time they have the ball, that is Tommy Reese and his offensive staff. Yeah. I mean, it's totally understandable. I, sure. I, he's not in any kind of position. He, I mean, he even mentioned that, you know, when the <laughs> offense was on the field, I'm talking to the defense on the sideline and then he can, you know, in the headphones, he can hear, okay, uh, punt team or, or, you know, celebrating a touchdown, but, I, you know, I guess from that standpoint, I would say, yeah, it's refreshing. It's also a little scary too. And yet for one game, you know, fine, well, you know. yeah. And, and, you know, Brian Kelly was the offensive guy. Um, and I'm sure early on, he couldn't speak a whole lot about the defensive side of the ball when he I first think became some, head uh, coach. At, some people on defense would still say that he couldn't yeah. <laughs> speak much about the defense well, side of the ball. No, that's, that's very true. And, you know, I, I mean, when you bring in, when you go out and land a Marcus Freeman as defensive coordinator, you hand them the reins to it and, and let them go and consult with them. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I did, I did like one expression that, that Marcus Freeman used yesterday. He was talking about, well, first of all, defensively, well, Pete, when you asked about staffing and the timing, you said the number one priority is fit, which we addressed in the instant analysis yesterday. I mean, I, I think that that is underrated amongst fans because they want the splash higher which you always want the best coach, obviously, but coaching is about chemistry and working with each other and, and familiarity with coaches is important when you make, uh, 
when you make hires, but he made the reference about the number one priority on, on offense in the, in the Fiesta bowl was ball security. And he used the term in the ability to hand the football to the officials, meaning protecting the football when the plays over, you want to have a, one of your players hand the football to the officials as opposed to the opposite, which would mean turnovers. And so that that's uh, huge. I think, um, you know, for as good as Oklahoma state's defense is, they don't, well, at least their turnover margin's not very good. They've turned it, it and then that's probably more a reflection of their offense in the interceptions. But, uh, you know, he talked about simplifying the defense midway through the season when I asked him about, about defense, and, and maybe that could have been something that would you would expect to have been detected a little bit earlier in the season. But, um, you know, I, they came on strong, and it was the kind of defense that we expected right from the very beginning. I also thought it was interesting, um, Pete, again, I think you asked about Buckner and and his mm. praise for him. I don't know if that is totally <laughs> legitimate or if it's just a way of. Yeah. that Cause it's like, I think that both Reese and Freeman were sensitive to the Keaton Slovis stuff um, on Monday. Like, ah, we wish that didn't get out. Um, and, you know, they want to get Buckner's back, but it was interesting hearing Freeman talk about Buckner, like, man, he can really throw it. I'm like, what? He's making throws that you, you rarely see uh, like uh, comments like that. That's like, oh, like, wow, he's coming a long way in a couple of weeks. It's like, you, have you, you really have watched this junior high school tape. Um, <laughs> so it's, I do think I take, I'm sure we can get into this later, but like I take Reese at his, his word that like they believe Buckner is the guy. And I, you know, we had a long discussion about this on the, on the last podcast, um, as it pertained to taking a grad transfer, which is, I think, something they're still interested in doing, but not at the Keaton Slovis level necessarily. So it's, yeah, I thought Notre Dame being all in on Buckner next year is a very, very good thing, even if it doesn't always look like a very, very good thing on Saturdays, if that makes sense. Like that, they gotta, they gotta invest in him moving forward. Yeah, I think I, I think I wrote it instead of said it in Monday Musings. You need. If you're if you're not getting someone way better than Buckner, don't bring in a grad transfer. Invest in Tyler Buckner. He's your quarterback. Make him the player. I want to cut it back to Marcus Freeman's effusive praise of Tyler Buckner in practice. All of it could be true. Even if it's not true, Marcus Freeman was going to say that because of what happened last week with Keaton Slovis, right? right. He's got it yeah. back. No, I agree. That's why I mentioned it in that in that vein. Yeah. No, I I agree. And and I do I do agree. You're either going to land, and I, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I, I felt about Keaton Slovis the same way I did Jack Cohn. I thought it, I thought it was necessary. You don't turn down – you wouldn't turn down a guy that's thrown 973 passes in his collegiate career in the Pac-12 and thrown for almost 8,000 yards. Um, not very mobile. And, I, you know, there's – I know a lot of people look at Slovis and say he isn't any good. Well, he was in a program that wasn't any good. And that had a lot to do with how his career started to slide after his, his first year, when he threw 30 touchdown passes and nine interceptions, he threw 24 interceptions in three seasons. And that's a lot for a player of that caliber, although they threw it a lot. Um, I would not have had a problem with Keaton Slovis as Notre Dame's quarterback in 2022, but since he is not that guy, I agree. It's, you know, full investment in, in Tyler Buckner. Um, that's the guy that you recruited and you pinpointed and you have to create an environment where you believe in him, which allows him to believe in himself more and 
teammates around him too, because I'm not sure that everybody is universally sold on the fact that he's going to be accurate enough as we, as we sit here right now. Notre Dame's concern with Tyler Buckner is not passing. It's the hamstring. It's the ankle. It's the fact that he's a mobile quarterback who is going to take shots. And if he gets hurt, then you're in real trouble. I, I think that the Notre Dame fan base ha- is stuck in a place that we were stuck in in early October. It was like, go to Drew Pine. Like, Drew Pine is the answer. Like, Drew Pine is not the answer in the eyes of the coaching staff. And they feel like if Buckner is not available, can Drew Pine beat Marshall? Yes. If Drew, if, but if it's November 1st and something happens to Tyler Buckner and you have Clemson and USC coming up, that's not a place Notre Dame feels comfortable right now at the quarterback position with their number two. We all talked to uh, tight ends coach John McNulty for the first time, and you two talked to Chris O'Leary. Um, both really good conversations. I think Coach Mickens was uh, maybe listening to Brian Kelly and did not give us a whole lot of information when we talked to him about his players. So I apologize for the lack of update on the four freshmen that you'll be getting this week that I promise. They are all coming along, all doing well, and they all have a big spring coming up. I can sum that part up, I think. That- Yes. from that conversation but um mcnulty was awesome to talk to right his just frankness about michael mayer his his willingness to laugh at himself when he listed off the reasons he loves coaching here the talent the buy-in how smart everybody is and then pete said you have michael mayer he was yeah. like yeah yeah michael mayer <laughs> that, like two years from now i'm gonna be bald and like get me the hell out of here like <laughs> but the whole the whole i think the conversation with both of those were great and tim you had uh chris o'leary where we were kind of some of the high points for that conversation. Well, uh, you know, I, I mean, I asked him how he got the job and he, I mean, he, he related it to, he said he felt like Marcus Freeman could relate to him and his situation. Uh, I mean, he gave all the praise to, you know, I am in a position to, to become a, a full-time coach at Notre Dame for the first time in my career, mainly because I was part of a program that went to the playoffs two out of three years. Now, you know, we look at it and say, oh, my God, look what he did with the safeties in the absence of Kyle Hamilton. Uh, he's not going to say that uh, his his safeties will say that. And 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 we see that in, in retrospect. So I just thought he was engaging. He 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 clearly um, relished the opportunity to, to talk with the media. When we sat down, I said, man, we got a lot of ground to cover with you, <laughs> you know, because we haven't had the opportunity to talk to him. But uh you know, engaging, and he's done a great job with uh, with the safeties. Pete, I want to jump back to something you said about Buckner. You said that – so you're telling me that the coaching staff is sold on Tyler Buckner's accuracy? Where it's going, yeah. I mean, I think they feel good about, like, this is the guy. Um, they're, sure, but they're I, concerned about, like, where – okay, what happens with the, the quarterback situation if he's hurt because, like, that's a mobile guy. You got to play to that strength. Right. I, I just, I don't believe that they're sold on his accuracy. I think that they're saying the things that they need to say in order to, to give him confidence and the team confidence. And I, I just, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that they're sold on that. Certainly the health is that's, that's an issue. Um, yeah. So, you know, um, he needs to really use from now until next season to really put another layer of, of, of uh, armor on his body. Um, Tim, I want to touch on something. Yeah, go ahead, Tim. Jump, jump in because we covered a lot in the last three days. What McNulty said about this isn't about tight ends in specific, specifically, but when he talked about Kevin Bauman coming back, this is something I think fans 
should listen to when you get time frames for recovery from major injuries. So Bauman had a good camp and breaks his fibula. You're here. That's a six week injury. He'll be back in six weeks. People look at six weeks like, all right, well, I get that he's not ready to roll in six weeks, but two weeks later, he should be good. Kevin Bauman, according to McNulty, and this probably applies to 95% of the guys that get hurt, has been playing in pain and hurt since coming back, trying to gut through it. He said he's a guy that needs 100% of all of his ability and strength to hold up blocking as a redshirt freshman, and I give him a lot of credit for it. So when people are like, will Blake Fisher come in and start in a Fiesta Bowl, know that that's completely humanly impossible for someone to do at that level as an 18-year-old in college football. Even, I mean, even if Kyle Hamilton was coming back and Kyle Hamilton was in Bauman's situation where he's like, let's, let's say his knee is just getting better. Kyle Hamilton would not be Kyle Hamilton. I think we always expect these guys to come back and like, well, what happened? He should be ready. It's, it's not just being back and being able to run around the field or condition for Coach Bayless. I mean, it's, if he's not back from a broken fibula suffered on Labor Day, think how hard that is for guys coming back from in-season injuries to really be good. Most of them, you know, some guys are freaks of nature and they come back and, and they look like they never missed a beat. But I thought that was telling that a guy we all figured, all right, six weeks. Well, that's, that's the bye week. We'll be fine. He's still not fine. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it it doesn't does, work that it way. It just doesn't work that way. And, you know, you talk about Blake Fisher. Would you really want Blake Fisher going to uh, his first game back? He's going against Colin Oliver, the freshman that had 11 and a half sacks, or Brock Martin, who's really their most complete defensive lineman. It just it doesn't work that way. You don't, you, you don't want to put a kid that's played a, one half of college football <laughs> in that situation, especially when you have – you know, you got Joe Alt. It's not even a question. I didn't want to, we touched upon this in the instant analysis, but Pete, I wanted to get your perspective. Uh, he was, Marcus Freeman was once again asked about who would be the play caller on, on the defensive side of the ball. And he's still hesitant to name that person. He said that, you know, right now in practice that Mike Elston is one that's making those calls because Marcus Freeman is the head coach. And he's, did he say playing referee? Is that what he said, Tim? I believe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yell at himself. Uh, Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I guess I don't, I'm curious as to what the hesitancy is for him to just call the plays. I I know that he wants to, you know, this is a, this is a transition for him and he wants to transition into the head coaching role. Um, My take on it is that it'll be Elston calling plays with Freeman in collaboration. And by Elston having the onus of calling plays, all the time, Freeman can attend to some other things when the defense. Yeah, I, I just would feel right. Does my, that make sense? Yeah, it does. And my only input is if you disagree with what Elston has decided, just go ahead and disagree with him and change it. That that I would be. Would. I think my point is like Elston would do all the talking to the defense when the offense is on the field because Marcus Freeman still has to be coaching. Even though Tommy Reese is calling everything, Freeman has to know like what's going on with Reese, what the plan is. Like, hey, Tommy, we talked about attacking here on third and two. What do you, you know, what do you think? And why would you not do? Why would you call that? So he has to be involved. I just feel like if you're the defensive coordinator, we just found out you don't watch anything on offense. So maybe Mike Elston calls plays, it coordinates the defense, and Freeman has has his his footprint all over. There's yeah. stamp. I, I was, I was. I will I will be surprised if Freeman doesn't call plays in the game. Right. That's how um, I, that's how I feel too. I don't I'm not surprised anymore about anything with coaches being cagey about who calls plays after Brian Kelly, Tommy Reese camping world bowl. Like that was just like the weirdest thing where Kelly was 
Well, I mean, it's collaboration. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to tell you who's going to call plays. And then the day before the game is like, it's Reese. It's obvious you idiots. Like, um, it just, it just makes the most sense that every, everyone would stick as closely as possible to what they were doing before. And for Freeman, that means calling plays. It, but, and I feel like he can call plays without being the architect of the game plan at a level he was before. Yeah. And I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to come off sounding like I'm underestimating Mike Elston's ability to call defensive signals on uh, or plays on the day of the game. He's perfectly capable of doing that. He's a veteran coach. I'm sure he's in in lockstep with what Freeman has called on a a game by game basis during the regular season. I I just don't want to come off sounding um, like Elston's not capable, but I mean, it's a big game and he taught and Marcus Freeman talked about winning a championship, the Fiesta bowl championship. And I think the best way to do that is for, for him to, um, to, to not change what, what had worked so well, especially in the second half of the season. Let's wrap this uh, first segment up. We'll be back. Segment two, burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish illustrated insider podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. We are back with segment two, burning up the boards. The first question from DMB346. Do you think Tyler Buckner will see more snaps than he did over the past few games against Oklahoma State? Maybe out of necessity because of the defensive front that they're facing, but I don't necessarily think that Tommy Reese is going to look this, or, or I don't think that Tommy Reese's ability to decide uh, when to put Tyler Buckner into the game has was impacted by Brian Kelly or, or will, you know, suddenly increase because of this situation. In fact, Tommy Reese said the other day, I mean, it's without saying this exactly, it's not about Tyler Buckner. It's about winning the football game. So I don't think anything changes per se, unless the offense is bogged down, which could certainly happen with um, you know, with Oklahoma State's defensive line and Jack Cohn's immobility, I, I'm concerned about Nordheim's offensive line in this game. But I don't, I don't, I don't anticipate a significant difference outside of what is influenced by Oklahoma State's defense. It, yeah, I, I could see him playing more, is but it would have to be strategic, not re- for reasons of development. Like they're yeah. not going to play him just to play him. Uh, Jack Cohn was also like the offensive MVP in the team's subtle award show that they did last weekend. Like they, they really like Jack Cohn. Like he's done a very good job. And if he starts and Notre Dame wins, he will have the all time Notre Dame career winning percentage record for a starting quarterback. Like, I bet Buck, yeah, that's done a nice job. I bet Buckner does play more out of necessity because of Oklahoma state's defense, but it's not because of a, um, a change going in or, or developing Tyler Buckner or anything, turning the page for next year. They've, they are 100% in for the Marcus Freeman. A single thing in his first game as coach. You'd actually have a better chance of turning the page to Mark to Tyler Buckner. If Brian Kelly was coaching instead of Marcus Freeman. Marcus Freeman would want this game more than Brian Kelly. I mean, I think it's human nature. I'm not saying anything bad about Brian Kelly. This is, there'd be no turning there. Marcus Freeman doesn't want to turn any page. He wants this, this game play. is this game represents 100% of Marcus Freeman's games. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Kind of important to win. I, I do think, think it's a, get more, being one and oh. I think he'll get more snaps, though. That's I think he'll have yeah. to. And he's healthy yeah. too, assuming he's healthy coming out of practice. One and oh. 
As an aside, Pete, you mentioned about the echoes from Friday night, and I was going to ask another question yesterday of Marcus Freeman, but I thought that I had talked too much at that point, so I didn't. But I probably <laughs> should have asked it because I felt like I wanted an answer to this question because, you know, it was kind of like a circling of the wagons, wasn't it? The echoes where they just kind of shut it down. Parents weren't allowed there. Media wasn't allowed there. I just wondered if this had anything to do with poachers trying to dig into Notre Dame's current roster. And it was just kind of a circling of the wagons of the Notre Dame football program. Am I reading too much into that? Probably. I mean, I remember Notre Dame asking me, like, do you think people will care if you know, like the media is not there? I'm like, no, uh, you know, because the, the access was good. Uh, like we got like we got the like you would usually talk to Xavier Watts after the echoes because you haven't talked to him all year and he wins newcomer of the year or some, or next man in or something like that. Um, and they just sort of made those players available to us during the week. So at yeah, I, I think with everything else that was going on with Notre Dame, with the coaching change, that they probably wanted to just sort of keep as much of that in-house as possible. Um, but I didn't I didn't think that they were, they were trying to avoid the – I'm not even sure. What do you mean by, like, poachers? He means the Xavier Watts. Like, if people find what? out the scout team player of the year, well, all of a sudden that scout team player of the year can transfer now. Alabama, no, what, yeah. what I mean by poachers is schools contacting Nord, Kurt Nording football players – to see if they will transfer to their school. That's exactly what I'm referring to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't. I don't feel like the echoes would have had anything to do with that, right? Like maybe not. It was just the timing. I, I was just looking at the timing of that. Um, I mean, I think you it was in something, but don't you think that COVID is part of it? Why there was no family and no sure. media there? Yeah. Like, no, I'm sure that yeah. we're, we've already been warned they might move the game, even though no one's tested positive for crying out loud. I have a feeling it's been. Yeah. I mean, Indiana. Indiana is one of the five worst states. Uh, in the nation for COVID issues in hospitals. So that's probably why they don't want a bunch of people coming in and passing around hors d'oeuvres and eating blue cheese bites with their players. Uh, and well, yeah, for the record, for the record, I, I got my booster before, <laughs> before going uh, flying West uh, thinking that'd think, be it. I think Arizona is much better. I think we're much better off. I would. Yeah, I would imagine so, but we're on a plane full of people that aren't from Arizona. So. You just, you never know. But I had no repercussions. All three of my shots, I had no repercussions. So I feel very fortunate for that. Tim, move on to the second question, if you would, please. Yeah, I'm, that's not, that wasn't the case for me. So that's not that cool. Matt yeah. 341, thoughts on potential position coaches? Who's at the top of your list? Okay. With this question, we have several questions on this. I, and I, I just want to focus on wide receivers. And I do believe that I, that I, a, a prominent um, wide receiver coach has been spoken with. I'll just leave it at that. I, I do want to remind people, I don't know how much we've talked about this, but Lance Taylor was the Carolina Panthers wide receivers coach for two seasons. And so the possibility, there is the possibility that he could be the receivers coach and they would look for a running backs coach. So as it relates to wide receivers, that one's still pretty open-ended um, contrary to the to the other two positions that we're talking about. Uh, and, and I will jump right in unless you guys want to add to that about the receivers. I, I agree with you that about Lance Taylor shifting over to receivers and hiring a running backs coach. Um, that's been something that I was told a few weeks ago as a possibility. Right. Um, and I think it's really, it, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen. It just means that 
Freeman and Reese would have multiple avenues to pursue like the best possible candidate. If you can find an elite running backs coach who wants to come, then you can shift Lance over. If you find an elite receivers coach and you can keep Lance where he is. Right. Yeah. I think the only, uh, I guess the only weird thing there where there would have to be probably a raise for Taylor. He is the, he was the co-offensive coordinator or running game coordinator. You don't become the passing game coordinator. At uh, true. True. Top three is the quarterback, but you know what makes you better off than the running game coordinator is a race and coaching. Wide receiver. <laughs> so that, yeah, no doubt about it. All right. I'm going to, uh, put two questions together here. One from Rex Hampton eight is Charlie strong. The ideal defensive coordinator candidate. Again, I would remind people uh, that aren't Irish illustrated subscribers that this was a story uh, recently on Irish illustrated um, as far as candidates and Charlie strong, the, the longtime head coach and former defensive coordinator uh, back in the back, way back in the day um, is a guy that was in that story that, that Tom Loy, mainly Tom Loy, I contributed to it, but it was mainly Tom Loy's question or story. So uh, is Charlie Strong the ideal defensive coordinator candidate? Coach in Notre Dame, had success as head coach at Louisville, has experience in a pressure cooker like Texas, Strong Florida, and Texas recruiting connections. And then the question from W. Jason P. Is the consensus among all of you that Marcus Freeman could hire a one-year cornerbacks coach as his defensive coordinator and that's a reference to to uh P- perry um perry eliano is i believe how it's pronounced um and w jason p says i can't wrap my head around that uh in reference to eliano being a, a first year cornerbacks coach at cincinnati okay yeah there was a lot there i on the defensive side, similar to what we were just talking about, Lance Taylor and running backs and receivers, uh, Chris O'Leary coached Rovers a year ago. So I think, that, you know, there's – and I think also being the linebackers coach in Marcus Freeman's defense would be pretty flexible because um, you're doing what – you're doing Marcus Freeman's work, like, and he's he has oversight of that at all times. Like, I'm still under the mindset that, like, Hiring an experienced defensive coordinator with linebacker expertise would be ideal. Um, you know, somebody like Trestle at Cincinnati would fit that bill quite a bit. Um, but, you know, as, as Marcus talked about yesterday, it got to fit in with the staff. You would think that somebody from the Trestle school would, because that's the school Marcus Freeman is from. Um, but I, I don't know where they'll go with that. I just feel like, if you're going to hire, if you're going to hire experience, there are two positions that I think make sense, offensive line and defensive coordinator. Um, so that's, that would be sort of my opinion on that. I concur. I don't, I, I can't wrap my head around a, a one year position coach as defensive coordinator for this staff overall, I guess. I mean, I, you could have a, you could end up with a pretty, some pretty young coaches in, in that. It, there's already some pretty young coaches. So well, yeah, and, and what about responsibility? I mean, I don't think he has – I took a quick peek. I, I don't think he has a background with linebackers, Ileano. So Yeah. Let me uh, – you know, uh, again, referencing the story that was on Irish Illustrated, I, our sources are saying that Mike Trussell might not be in the running for this. I also think that that could be a bit of a smokescreen since Mike Trussell has a really important game or two, probably a game, to coach moving – coming up here. Uh, John Haycock is a name that we've mentioned. The Iowa State coordinator is older, not a great recruiter per se. 
uh, but a guy that's been very successful as a defensive coordinator. And then Chris Ash, who's a former head coach and safeties coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that's pretty open-ended. And then we're also aware of another candidate that that uh, Notre Dame has, has talked to with regards to being defensive coordinator. So that's still open-ended. There's a lot of names being thrown out there. Um, and I think all of them are realistic to semi-realistic. I'm not sure Charlie Strong is the direction to go at this stage of his career. Um, I mean, I like Charlie Strong a, a, a lot. Um, I'm not sure that that's the right direction to go either. So we'll, we'll see. That, that'll, all, that'll all take care of itself, I would imagine, pretty quickly after the Fiesta Bowl. And I'd like to interject if you're a Notre Dame fan, you might not want to judge Mike Tressel on his next game as linebackers coach. Goes <laughs> on out there, so that could be just a little warning. Could get, could could not look exactly like it would look next yeah. year. Yeah, he's fortunate to know he's not facing Alabama's offensive line from last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then question from M. Lindbergh: Marcus Freeman has stressed the importance of recruiting and a commitment to recruiting at the highest level from all of his coaches. Is that an issue? If Harry Heastand is hired as the offensive line coach, uh, Harry Heastand recruited Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson. So, no, not an issue at all. I mean, was he a great recruiter or a super active recruiter? No, but I've said this a million times. I need my offensive line coach to be an elite teacher and serviceable in recruiting, especially at a place at like Notre Dame where. I, I hate the term it recruits itself, but like Notre Dame offensive line kind of recruits itself. Um, so give me an elite, elite teacher if you're going to go with Harry Heastan, and then you'll make recruiting work. I'm not sure Heastan is my first choice from everybody presented on in the Irish Illustrated stories, but I think Heastan, like others, would up his recruiting game enough because that's the demand from the head coach. Right. And, and plus you have Tommy Reese, who's yeah. running the offense and has become a, a, a pretty darn good recruiter himself. Um, you know, the other guy is Justin Fry, who was in play, you know, a few years ago when Harry yeah. Stan left for the NFL. I, I, I like him. He may end up at Ohio State, frankly, Justin Fry. Um, but again, a, a, a reputation, perhaps not as a great recruiter, but he was coaching for uh, Chip Kelly, who's not, doesn't enjoy recruiting himself from, from, you know, everything that I've heard. So PE used the term elite teacher. And I, and I, I'm old school when I, when it comes to this, because I, I, I was around Lou Holtz for more than, more than a decade. And it was always, I'm going to, I'm going to hire the best, football coach that I can hire and then you know I mean you try to tie that into to, to a guy that's a good recruiter too you don't hire an assistant coach especially a, a, a an offensive line coach yeah, that is you know great recruiter average teacher coach that's crazy Eight, nine that's that would be crazy you don't do that um you don't no. do that I, it's Again, I think people are playing fantasy football when they when when that's their attitude toward the position coach as important as offensive line coach. We know how important basketball assistants are over these last few years, but I think you could maybe you could probably have a staff where you have a great assistant coach mind of the game and two great two great recruiting coaches in basketball. But in football, it has become so specialized now. You could probably get away with one only out of ten positions, right? 
that fair? Mm. Two? Think you get rid of two? I think you go more than that. Really? But, but you, I, you couldn't like offensive line is not one of those positions. Oh. I, well, I don't care how like line. you know I. I don't know if it is. I, I would actually disagree with you on that one. And like Mike, Mike Elston has actually referenced like, that's yeah, defensive line play. It's like not, we're not splitting the atom here. Well, um, okay. Look, move, excuse me, Pete, but I mean, moving forward, Jeff Quinn's not going to be the offensive line coach. Why mm-hmm. is that? Because he's not an elite a great teacher. teacher. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's what it we comes agree. To. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Okay. Moving on. Irish fan 151. Do you see Notre Dame adding, more analysts to the coaching staff, maybe not Alabama level, but an increase from years past. You got any insight on that, Pete? I I don't, but I mean Brian Kelly referenced that the staff doubled uh, yeah. over the ca- over the course of his tenure. It's not going to double again, nor do I think it needs to. I think they have. I mean, it was just. A, I think Tim, you were talking to Ramon Henderson a few weeks back, and you know, you mentioned O'Leary, you mentioned Mickens, you mentioned Freeman, you mentioned Kerry Cooks. Um, like, I think they have, you know, Trevor Mendelson, Chris Watt, offensive line GAs have, I think, been well-regarded by the players. Like, as long as you, you know, Nick Lazinski, another one, Notre Dame has a good sort of bench of coaches right now. I don't think that's going to expand. That Could the recruiting department expand? Yeah. But I don't think the the coaching staff with interns and analysts and GAs is, is I don't know if you're going to get much bigger than where they are right now. I think a change could be uh, not in size as much as if, if you do end up going young somewhere, like let's say defense is all young or offense, you, you have a def- young defensive hire, young offensive hire. You could have an, an analyst go in the Alabama method where you have a very experienced coach as one of your analysts, if he will do it, if you can pay him for it, like they do in Alabama. I mean, mm-hmm. you need at some point, we've talked about this five for five weeks now, we're kind of pushing on the road. You need somebody with a lot of coaching experience to come onto this staff and help out, I think. The Bob Elliott type. I just think right, you need exactly. somebody somewhere to do that. So maybe that's what you look for. In I know, area. like a lot of people have suggested, you know, a former head coach like a David Cutcliffe. Well, I'm not sure how many guys are willing to do that, but if you can get right, some guys I mean, are though. Like, I like mean, maybe could, coach Notre Dame. That's or the question: yeah, Why why can't you bring in uh, Justin Fry and Harry Heastan as the, the <laughs> is the advisor, the analyst? Come on, man, Harry Heastan's not going to do anything like that. I, let, let me ju- if, I, if I could jump back to the, the coaching because I didn't we didn't talk about special teams. I, I think I think it could be Marty Biaggi, who's at Purdue, who's a very good coach, um, who was previously at Notre Dame. It could be Nick Lazinski, who they've always liked, and he'll get a, a test drive here in the Fiesta Bowl if they if if, he's, if, uh, be, if he's, Presley, staff, he's done so much. I know, I know, and and and, and he's universally uh, respected within within the program. So we'll see about that, but. You know, if Harry Heastan is named the offensive line coach, could Chris Watt come back and be groomed as a successor? Yes. That is, that's a much more realistic possibility because of their previous experience together and respect for, for one another. So we'll see all of these. There is a, there is a Fiesta Bowl game to be played. Is there not? I believe there is. Yeah. So special teams. No, but I get, I get all the interest, of course. I like Nick Lazinski a lot. Um, I think that his name pops up because we all like Nick Lazinski a lot. But Brian Mason is the name that I've heard. Uh, yes, you're. you're absolutely, I'm sorry. You're right. I, I should there. have included him. And he's I've heard at, the same thing. And at Cincinnati, as well. you know, Purdue connections with Marcus. Um, you know, was a GA at Ohio State. 
you know, has some recruiting coordinator experience on top of that. Like that would be, that would be somebody that is, he is under serious consideration. Yeah, I would agree. And I'm glad you brought that up, BP, because I think that if it's not Lazinski, I think odds are it's Mason and then Biagi. Right? Agreed? Uh, that's how I would see it. Yep. Wash ND, you guys have mentioned that Notre Dame should hit the portal for a starter at safety. But is that necessary at this point? They appear to have two ascending players in Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts, plus a steady veteran in DJ Brown to occupy two starting spots. I think Notre Dame is very fortunate that Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts both took to their late season, mid-season and late-season position moves. Uh, those two, plus steady veteran DJ Brown, have looked outstanding in defense of Jay Wolfolk, Xavier Airline, Jordan Yates, and Tanner McKee. You need a starting safety to come in ahead of them, and they will be great backup safeties in a four-man rotation next year. And they'll get a ton of playing time. Yes, a ton. But you need a starting level safety better than all three of those players. We're not talking about beating North Carolina at home when they have one player dragging the team on his back and no offensive lineman. I mean, this is, as Pete said, Marshall, sure. All of November next year, no. I mean, what? They signed one safety in the freshman class, Justin Walters, like a true safety. They could move from somebody there. Uh, and they signed maybe one safety in the recruiting class that just signed in Jaden Bellamy, like safety recruiting has not, not been good. Um, and that's, that's been an ongoing problem for a while. So I don't, I don't know how 13 years of a problem. I don't, I don't know how you couldn't look to find somebody you know, and like the way, I don't know who I might, I don't know if it's my question or somebody else's questions about the transfer portal. I mean, uh, you know, it was fine. Yeah. Marcus was like, look, I told the players, if we can get better, we're getting better. Subtext, that means we might find somebody better than you. Um, as long as they fit in the locker room. If they're better on the field, they can prove the roster. We're making a move. So that's that that tells you all well, you need to know about safety. Yeah, here. Uh, Marcus Freeman used the word enhance. I mean, yesterday, um, the players are well aware that they are constantly trying to enhance the roster. And so you're upfront about it. You don't conceal it. You deal with it at face value and upfront. And uh, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. They, they need a standout safety. And I do think Henderson and Watts have a chance to be really good. And yeah. I do think DJ yeah. Brown, I mean, I give, I give all three of those guys and DJ Brown and, I, and you have to give a Leary, uh, Chris O'Leary credit too, because I mean, to play, but again, Tim, the, the guys that they did that against, um, generally our uh, second level quarterbacks, although DJ Brown has responded when whenever yeah, Kyle right. Hamilton's been hurt, DJ, DJ Brown, Brown has responded. Be, is he supposed to be your number one safety going yes. to up your DJ yeah. Brown? I mean, you need you need at least that level. So think about this. When I go back 13 years, I'm not I'm, I'm not exaggerating at all because Harrison Smith was here when Brian Kelly got here, right? And so is Jamora Slaughter, and so is Zeke Mata. Okay, so those are three of the six, if not three of the five best safeties that played since Brian Kelly arrived. They were all on the roster when he got here. His best safety, we don't even have to go over. His second best safety transferred from Navy. He was not recruited to Notre Dame until he was a Navy football yeah. player. His third best safety played quarterback in high school in Jalen Elliott. And now yeah. that's a safety recruit. They recruited him as safety. That's fine. So Jalen Elliott and Kyle Hamilton were recruited to Notre Dame and developed by Notre Dame. And I want to know the next one. No, I hear you. And I understand Washington's question, but we're talking about 
different you know, level we're, of football. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're holding the, the young quarterback to the standard of, of winning a national title. Ohio and State, yeah. Let's it, keep right. It applies well. to the other positions as well. They have to be national title level players at the various positions. Question from C. Fraser: Any truth to the rumors of multiple players transferring to LSU after the season? I'm not sh- Well, I go mean, ahead, guys. So Diggs was rumored, and you asked him about it, and he's – I don't think Logan Diggs is going to transfer. Um, I mean, Jay Bramblett is probably a LSU transfer, grad transfer. Yeah, but he, I mean, that was going to happen probably right. regardless. Yeah, so. LSU, he might not have gone to LSU, but he was going yeah, to Yeah, he was yeah, leaving, now, just not there. He should, he should go to LSU now. Um, LSU has a roster, too. I mean, LSU wants the bottom of Notre Dame's roster? Yeah, I don't – I mean – what? Because I think I, there was on the Four Horsemen Lounge. There, was there a joke about like Michael Mayer transferring there or something? Like what was? Oh, he's bored. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. His, I mean, he does ha- actually have a very strong family connection to LSU. Um, well, I think his grand his grandfather was an all time, uh, like great basketball player there, like in their Ring of Honor. Um, however, he's the starting tight end at Notre Dame for Christ's sake, and a year away from going pro. So. <laughs> You know what? There's a he's chance, good. There's a chance he's good. grad transfers to LSU. He decides to play an extra year of college mm. football and not become yeah. the first tight end taken. Yeah. Um, you know, so Jay Bramblett is – that's not official yet, but he's going there, right? But what's LSU. your concern? Like a white, a freshman wide receiver would be poached? Well, I, you know, I, I, would... I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Kari G. Kari G um, is a possibility, I he guess. Was, I think he was committed to LSU at some point, if I'm not oh, mistaken. He that's was. Good that's point. fine. That's a good point. Well – you can't start at safety or over at Notre Dame. They're not going to just come into LSU and start, right? They have guys that run around fast. <laughs> Positive. That's the whole thing down there, right? I watched the, the Alabama game, man. I can, <laughs> it looked a little different. Yeah. No, I mean, we we obviously have, have, have heard this, and uh, but I ultimately I don't think it's you know, I, I don't think it's going to be anything really significant outside of Jay Bramlett. We knew he was leaving, you know, anyway, he was going go, going to go to the SEC one way or another before everything broke. And do people know why? Do we explain that on our podcast? So it's just, it's just travel. Yeah. I mean, I think it has, it's a lot, it has the family trying to get to South Bend and, you know, they would like, they would, it's not easy, uh, you know, for, for all the games or for seven, six, seven home games. So yeah, it's more of a logistical thing with well, one year six, left of college and, and all flights from, from Alabama too. Like they're not playing right. in the SEC. Right. The dad's a, the dad is a high school coach. He has games on Friday night. Like yeah. I cannot believe he came to as many games as he did. Yeah. Um, and also like their Southern family, like the SEC is a big, big deal down there. So I get it. And he's a really good punter. Yeah, he's a good that punter. Too. Start places. Go ahead, L. Tim. L. Jared Boyd with college football's landscape rapidly changing. It seems inevitable that Notre Dame's transfer policy will change or be reevaluated. Will Notre Dame change his transfer policy during Freeman's tenure or wait to do so under his successor? Pete, why don't you go first on that? I asked Marcus about this. Um, you know, like the academics is a big part of it. I don't I don't know when Notre Dame was began to be advertised as having a transfer policy. I think they have a policy that you have to get into school. Right. Um so that's the policy, and that's not going to change. Um, I think that the transfer portal with grad transfers works out perfectly for Notre Dame. Often they have two years of eligibility now. There are three years in a college weight program and three years of college football experience. Like, um, But look, look if Xavier uh, Wampa, after a year at Iowa, it's like, you know what? This isn't working out. 
I want to go to Notre Dame. Notre Dame will get him into school. Like that will work out. But just taking like I know there's a receiver from UTEP who entered the portal who I think was a conference USA freshman all American. No relationship with Notre Dame whatsoever. I doubt that those are going to be the stories that end with a kid coming to Notre Dame um, as an undergrad transfer. And I think that's, I think that's totally fine. I, I don't think that's but, something that Notre Dame needs to necessarily. I take. mean, you guys would admit though, that, I mean, it's, it's not a really good situation for Notre Dame moving forward as far as undergrad I, I transfers, agree. all things being equal, I, 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 you know, against your competition. Freshman you've missed out on like Amir Carlisle. And not you didn't miss out on Alohi Gilman, but he became a player. And Alohi Gilman right. doesn't miss. Those are must- Cody Riggs. Go back Cody to Cody Riggs. Riggs. Freshman would have been a great. Like they got him as a grad transfer, but yeah, Cody Riggs, that a guy that you want Marcus Freeman as a as a player. This is what Mike Dembrock told you, Tim Priester. Like yeah, I can't believe he didn't come to Notre Dame. So those type of guys, you have to be actively staying on as much as you're allowed to legally do it or illegally do it behind closed doors. You have to get a hold of those freshmen to come in because I think they can transfer the freshman credits a little easier into your sophomore year as long as they're I mean, a place like USC and Navy helped clearly, you know, Woody Riggs is a good student. He went to Florida to study. So his trans, he could have, I think he could have transferred in as a freshman or a sophomore. We got to remember he was a grad transfer, but I think you could find those guys. You really have to be active. It's a, it's going to be a staff position transfer portal. There's no doubt. There's just too much activity there. Not to, you've got to have somebody that's scouring that uh, regularly. Question from Judge Arthur Vandalay. Who gets more carries in the Fiesta Bowl? Hey, there is a Fiesta Bowl. Chris Tyree or Logan Diggs? Diggs. I say Tyree. I'm sticking on the Tyree and Blitz. Touches, maybe touches, because I think he becomes the receiver yeah. that Kyron Williams is has been for virtually every game. Uh, but I think hand, I think carries, I, I would say digs. Unless Freeman was evasive of my Tyree question because he's hurt or something and he didn't want to say anything. He was very evasive on Chris Tyree. But I said, is Chris Tyree, how did Chris Tyree look? Because how's he look now? November, clearly the turf toe was an issue. Yeah. You've seen the real Chris Tyree. He's like, I haven't seen any Chris Tyree. I mean, I just thought about that, but hopefully that's not the case. I, have I, high hopes for Tyree. I mean, he also may be looking at, you know, I mean, Diggs is just a more sturdy running back. Okay. You know, Tyree's not a guy. I mean, he's, he's not a 15 carry 15 to 20 carry guy against Oklahoma state. Sense a press box bet. As long as Tyree is healthy. I'm, we're going to bet. On, we're going to bet on that. We we will bet on that, but it's, a, I mean, obviously they're both going to play and, and um, extensively, but I think T I think Tyree gets, gets a lot of his touches through the air. I asked about Estime uh, getting a role, and he, he said he thought Audric would get a role. I guess we'll see. You know, yeah, it depends on how many plays you get. If you get eighty-five snaps, Audric Estime is going to be in there. If you get what we think they're going to get, about sixty-eight, he'll play a little less. And Sibo uh, is Sibo is uh, unavailable for people that are going to ask the question. Yeah, can you guarantee sixty-eight snaps? No, I was thinking that's what you're looking at is about sixty. <laughs> I know. I'm just I'm asking. Get, get, yeah, the over under of total plays. Would you guarantee yeah. me sixty-eight snaps? Because I think I would take that. Oh yeah, no, you should take that. That's a <laughs> huge one. How many? That's some good over unders too. How many first downs in this game for both teams? Like, yeah. Well, that's going to lead us into our last question of the day, and I would imagine that our next podcast it'll be more fiestable uh, related. And it's not like we. It's not look. It's not like we didn't. It's, it's not like we didn't get questions this time. I'm the guy that chooses the questions. I thought it was important that we dealt with the assistant coaches, etc. But last question for today. It's from Plaque underscore. 
ITFDB. What's more likely, Oklahoma State's defense is overrated or Notre Dame's late season success is overrated due to weak competition in the second half of the season? I mean, I have properly rated Notre Dame's late season success. It is due to their weak competition and some improvement. So I don't know. I can't, I'm not overrating it at all. I refuse to accept the grounds of this, of this question because I know what their success is due to. They played worse teams and they got better. And they played the four quarterbacks I just named. Did you hear the four quarterbacks I just named? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> but 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 again, but again, all things being equal, maybe not maybe take the word overrated out. Uh you know, who's more likely to succeed? Oklahoma State's defense or or Notre Dame's Oklahoma State's defense. Right. I, I think Oklahoma I mean, State's defense will dictate more of the flow of the Fiesta Bowl than Notre Dame. Yeah, I'm, I, I agree with you completely. I think Notre Dame's defense could dictate even more to Oklahoma State's offense. Think about, but like, think about how much room for growth there is if you come if you looked at Oklahoma State's defense in the same group as Wisconsin and Cincinnati. Notre Dame does not need to score forty points to show improvement. Twenty-four would be an improvement over where they were against Wisconsin and Cincinnati. Well, that's a good if you point. look back at those games. So it's like if Notre Dame won this game 27-24, I think you would come away saying, like, wow, Notre Dame's defense, like they they made some serious improvements. Like, no, I I don't want to say nobody, but I am not looking for Notre Dame to win this game 45-41. Um not happening. I'm not looking. I don't think they win 35, 31. I, I don't either. I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine a game played in the thirties. If somebody gets in the one team, get in the thirties. Cause they just end up being much better that day. And things go sideways. The Wisconsin style reason, like the right. name scored in the forties, not, yeah. but not really scored in the forties. Yeah. So well, they scored, they scored 20 offensive points that day. Yeah. Right. So there was, there was yeah. 21 scores. Like, when we talked to Reese, it was, what do we got to do? We got to protect the quarterback and have a functional running game. They couldn't do either of those things against Wisconsin. No, that, that's going to be tough. And I don't want to honor. I, I mean, I think to some extent, Nordheim's defense might be uh, being underrated a little bit here because I, I think, I think Oklahoma state's going to have well, a very difficult was, time yeah. with consistency against Nordheim's defense. That's what I tried to say that of, of, I think Oklahoma state's defense has an advantage over Nordheim's offensive line and offense for sure. They don't have, first of all, they don't have Kyron Williams. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> What is that a thing? Yeah, that's kind of a big deal. Give me a break on the offensive MVP stuff. All right. I love Jack Cohn. Great that he's going to hopefully. Well, win somebody had to be team MVP, yeah, uh, but I, I don't know if he'd been removed from consideration after right. opting out. I, mean, I think he, did, he bounced so he didn't get considered, but yeah. they didn't have Kyron Williams. But no, my point was Notre Dame's defense, I think, could have the biggest advantage of the field over Oklahoma State's offense, even though I like mm-hmm. Oklahoma State's defense against Notre Dame's. Yeah. Offense. No. No, yeah, I I originally said I thought Notre Dame's offense had a better chance to move the football consistently. I don't I don't I don't necessarily believe that anymore. Now so Baylor said just think neither. Yeah, think I mean, better? yeah, kind of. Uh, but you know, Baylor Baylor stung Oklahoma State in the Big Twelve championship in the first half, and then couldn't score in the second half. There were times this season where Oklahoma State's also offense went scoreless yeah well yeah yeah true yeah who's playing out of his mind for the first half yeah okay well i guess you can i guess you can kind of look at it that way but i the 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 big matchup that really concerns me is nordame's offensive line against oklahoma state's defensive line i I don't i don't like that matchup and and again if nordame loses that matchup 
I know people are going to be saying Tommy Reese is a lousy signal caller, but we're or a play people caller, are already saying to, that. Well, they are saying that, and, but we're going to some of the same problems that existed in the first half of the season will come back because well, if yeah. your offensive line can't function against that 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 defensive line, I, I think it's a really really good defensive line. I think their defensive tackles are underrated because you talk about the ends and the sacks, and one of their linebackers is third on the team in sacks, but I think. Their defensive tackles are underrated because they're deep there. Maybe not quite as deep as Notre Dame, but they're deep there and they get a lot of push. Um, you know, and and so Christophic and Madden, who arrived, I guess, in the second half, this is a really, really stiff challenge for them that they haven't faced. And I, and really to a large extent, Joel Alt hasn't either. I thought Kane Madden really improved. Um, I no, I agree. But, but did I dream of this? Did, did he? Did I see this in a graphic? He made an All-American team. <laughs> I did. I you saw did, that. Uh, Phil Steele, um, <laughs> he of the VHT fame, uh, I think had him as a fourth team All-American. I think that's a mistake. I can't, I can't believe Michael Mayer was also a fourth team All-American. Well, that seems fair. They seem, they, that's that's about a mistake. Right. <laughs> if you think about Kane Madden and Michael Mayer this year, I would say that's probably accurate if you've never... Iron Williams was, was not even a fourth team All-American. If words have no meaning, that's all right. We're yeah, good. and look, I love Phil Steele's. <laughs> He's pretty phenomenal when you add everything awesome. up. He missed yeah. one. He's awesome. He missed one. Right, right. It's like it's like us. How many opinions do we express over the course of the year? When I'm wrong, I want to. I'm admitting it, man. Because you said Notre Dame was going eleven and one with Drew Pine at the controls. <laughs> I got, hey, the, first, I said, I got we, the first part right. We yes. said eleven. Right. We said eleven and one. I didn't say how it had to happen. Just said eleven. That's and one. true. <laughs> well, and we all felt like you know what's more likely to losses. Well. Oh yeah, we've got a fiesta. Kyle Hamilton's knee went all like right. Like, so mm. we've got a fiesta oh, yeah. coming up, and and um, I've got to be completely honest here because that's what I like to do. I think Notre Dame's going to. I'm concerned about Notre Dame winning this football game. I think it's. I think it's concerning. Teaser. I don't. I don't like the idea of Marcus Freeman going into the offseason zero and one. Neither does he. He's not. I'm yeah, sure me neither. Can. That's why I'm picking Notre Dame to win. <laughs> <laughs> wait don't give it away uh, sorry 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 don't give See, it away hey, i want to bring I, this up because there's no reason to ever bring this up the last time we were out in scottsdale at the camelback Inn, we did a podcast and you ruined your undefeated season by picking oh. ohio state you were going to go undefeated in the hard year to go undefeated 2015 that is true yeah deserve all the regret you get for that right now i'm going to bring that up jake yeah. brown jake brown got that game score right by the way i'll never forget it he did. He got the game score right of the Ohio State Notre Dame Fiesta Bowl. And it's a weird one, like 44 29 or 40, right? It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's anyway, kind of like, that's kind of like, for Pete to not picking Ohio State. That's kind of like Danielson catching the fly with the chopsticks and Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> Beginner's luck. That, that's kind of what. No, no offense, Jake, but how could he possibly I've been doing, yeah. I've been doing this for 40 years. Yeah, I yeah. still have not picked yeah. the score yeah. of a game yet. Jake Brown, the Karate Kid. Yeah, no, sure. no offense, yeah. Jake. Not please, <laughs> please. No, no offense. Please don't take offense. Okay, our next podcast will be a week from today, Thursday, December thirtieth. O'Malley is going to reach Scottsdale a day before I do, and he'll have an instant analysis, and then I'll get there, and and uh, we'll have an instant analysis, and then the podcast will be on Thursday, December thirtieth, and at that time, 
everybody will have to lock in their picks. Even though I've already tipped my, no, I, I'm not saying that I'm going to pick that. I still, I really seriously do want to continue to watch Oklahoma state, but I'm just concerned about that matchup with Notre Dame's offensive line. Cause I don't think that that's going to go particularly well for Notre Dame, but I don't mean they, to drag on, but did you guys figure, did you guys think how it was a really interesting point of view Freeman offered how they're watching Ohio, Oklahoma state's journey as a season, like they're one game order. at a time, like yeah. one game at a time in order. Yeah, would, they showed that like they had that behind the scenes video and like you'd see like the Oklahoma State Texas score up there and like they clearly had just watched that and was like, oh, there's plays plays to be made. And I was like, well, it's Texas, of course there's plays to be made. But like that that I've never really got into like how they watch video. This that may be an interesting story, uh to yeah, that was cool. Right next I don't week. know. I don't know that the, the order matters because in the second half they played Kansas, they played a head coachless TCU well, I think team. it's cool because of Notre Dame's journey. Like you could watch Notre Dame and look, if you're looking at uh Toledo, Toledo, Wisconsin and Cincinnati, you're like, <laughs> yeah, I want to, yeah. I want to bring up the are point. We, are we that playing in the pinstripe bowl? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Oklahoma state has given up more than 24 points this year. One time. And that was to Oklahoma. So if you put that, if you try to include that in the perspective on how many points are going to be scored here, I'm looking at a 24-20 type game, maybe maybe max. Now, you know, things can happen in the course of a, a bowl game, as I'm finding out here in the last couple of days of picking bowls. But, um, you know, we'll see. We are, Jack, I know we're dragging on the conclusion of this. And I'm going to cut it off right now. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson. Thanks for joining us. You guys have a tremendous Christmas. Thank you.